Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. For more information, visit us online at LifeGateBurleson.com. We're continuing in this series we started last week called Cautionary Tales. So everybody say, Cautionary Tales. Cautionary tales. And here's what we learned last week is that a cautionary tale is a story that is told to be a warning or to be kind of a caution. And here's what we discovered is that the Bible is actually filled with cautionary tales, stories, wisdom, proverbs that help to keep us out of trouble. In fact, the word of God has, is meant to give us caution and warning, not to scare us, but actually to steer us away from difficulties and struggles and problems that God never intended for us to have. In fact, here's what I'm so thrilled about today is that God loves you so much that he sent his word to be a warning, to give wisdom in your life. That God loves you so much that he even sent crazy loudmouth preachers like me to speak into your life and to keep you from going down paths that would be difficult or harmful for you. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series that we started last week. We talked about some cautionary tales. In fact, last week we talked about a story that Jesus told to kind of caution us against the dangers of becoming discontent in our lives. We talked about these guys who were happy with what they had until they started to compare to what somebody else had. And then suddenly they begin to grumble and complain and begin to get this sense of entitlement until eventually they got to a place where they were just discontent with what they had. And so if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to go back and watch the live stream or listen to the podcast on that next week everybody say next week next week so important we are going to talk about a topic that I believe many of you are dealing with in your life right now one that is huge in our culture today we're going to talk about a guy in the old testament who experienced burnout everybody say burnouts Burnout, a guy who experienced burnout and he made some poor decisions because of his burnout. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. In fact, I believe God's going to speak to you. I'm just going to tell you, don't miss next week. Invite someone to be here next week because some of you know some people who are going through burnout. You don't want to miss that. But today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look in the book of Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles today, you can go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse verse number 30. And here's what we're going to see. We're going to see a cautionary tale. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs is really a book of caution and a book of wisdom and a book of warnings in different areas of our life. And in this passage, what we're going to see is a father who is speaking to his son and basically says to his son, son, if you don't watch out, if you are not careful, you can actually end up in Poverty. In fact, let's take a look at it together in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 30. Today, it's on the screen. You can read along as well as in your LifeGate app today. It says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had grown up everywhere and the ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. And I applied my heart to what I observed. A a lesson that I learned from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And what? Everybody say this word. And poverty will come on you like a thief. 
and scarcity like an armed man. Man, I love the imagery that the proverb writer gives. He says, guys, he says, son, if you are not careful, he says, it can be like poverty can come on you and here's how it will happen. It will be like a thief in the night. It will be, one translation says, like a bandit. Everybody say bandit. Like, like a bandit. Like, if you're not careful, you can wind up broke. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today, how to be broke. And in fact, some of you are here today and you're like, I don't need to hear that sermon because I already know how to do that. <laughs> like I could preach the sermon for you today. And here's what the proverb writer is basically saying. He's saying, hey guys, if you don't watch out, this can be the story of your life. Because here's the deal. Nobody ever wakes up one morning and just says, hey, today, what I plan to do is I plan to go broke. Nobody ever plans to go broke. Here's the problem is that people don't plan not to be broke. And the truth is, if we don't use some wisdom in some areas of our lives, we can find ourselves struggling in this area of our finances. And it's a big deal for everybody. In fact, let me just prove it to you today. Everybody help me out with a little survey all across the room today. How many of you within, let's say the last 30 days, within the last month, how many of you have had some, had some fear or some worry or some anxiety or some struggles or whatever in the area of your finances? Come on, raise your hand in the last month. Almost every single, look around, almost every single hand in the room is raised. Okay, put them down. How many of you, let's say in the last seven days have had some sort of struggle, fear, worry about the area of finances or money. Come on, put your hands up. That's a whole bunch of people. Put them down. How many of you in the last 24 hours, come on, raise your hand. How many of you are like, I'm just trying to figure out how to pay for lunch after this service is over. It's true, right? Like we face these areas of struggle in the area of our finance. And so what I want to do today is from this cautionary tale in Proverbs and from a few other passages of scripture, I want to look at the habits of broke people, all right? And we're gonna just see three things. If you wanna be broke, just put these three things into habit in your life. If you're taking notes, the first one is this, is that broke people love stuff. Everybody say love stuff. Broke people, the reason that they are broke is because they love their stuff. In fact, think about it. We live in a very consumeristic, consumer-driven type of a culture, right? I mean, we love our stuff. We love our new iPhones and our iPads and our earbuds and anything that has an eye in front of it. We love it. And we cannot wait until the next one comes out so that we can sell the perfectly good one that we have and spend an extra $500 on the new version that just came out. Come on, right? Like we love our vacations and we love our boats and we love our, we love our vacation homes and we love our, we love our clothing and we love our food and we love, we love our stuff to the point that it drives us to a place of being broke. In fact, this is not a new thing that just happens in our culture today. It's actually something that has been happening from the very beginning of time. It's something that was happening way back in the day of Solomon when he wrote the Proverbs. And I want you to notice what he says in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse number 20. Look what he says. He says, people never stop dying and being destroyed and they never stop what? Everybody say this aloud. They never stop wanting more than what they have. Basically, here's what the proverb writer says. He says, there are two things that will always be, not death and taxes, but death and, and, dis, uh, and discontentment. And so many people, man, this is your life. Like filled with discontentment. 
Like if I could just have more, then I would be happy. Like if I could just have that thing that I have my eye on, then I would be happy. But then you get that thing and it doesn't make you happy. Instead, it just makes you want more. In fact, the same guy wrote another book in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. And I want you to see what Solomon writes about it here in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 10. He says, whoever loves money will what? Will never have enough. And how meaningless it is to think that wealth will bring true happiness. In fact, most of us here in this, in this world and in this culture, this is what drives us. We're driven by, if I could get more money, then I could get more stuff. And if I could get more stuff, then I would be happy. But we get more stuff and we're not happy. Instead, what we are is we're broke and we're stressed out. Because we spent all our money getting the stuff. And then when we didn't have the money to get the payments and we're stressed out because... We love our stuff so much. In fact, look what Paul writes about it in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. Let me just tell you, some people even stop following Jesus because they are so, so in love with money and stuff. They have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with, say these words, with many Griefs. How many know there are a lot of people who have many griefs in their life because they haven't yet figured out this whole issue of finances? Many griefs because I got these payments over my head, because I'm having these fights in my marriage over the finances, because I'm working two jobs to try to make things, make ends meet, because there's too much month at the end of the money, and it's all because I love my stuff. You want to go broke? Here's what you do. Broke people love stuff. Number two, write this down. Broke people, here's the habits of broke people. Not only do they love stuff, but here's what they do. They lack discipline. Everybody say discipline. In fact, this is what we see happen in this passage in verse 33. Look what it says. It says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And here's what will happen. Poverty will come on you like a thief. Now, I want you to notice in this in this story, what is happening for this guy, this guy, the reason that he falls into poverty is not because he doesn't have any money and not because he doesn't have resources. In fact, you go back and you read the verses before and you see this guy had a vineyard. This guy had land. It wasn't that he didn't have resources that caused him to fall into poverty. It's because he didn't have discipline. He decided instead of working, he's going to sleep. Instead of taking care of the things that he had, he was going to rest. And here's the deal for many of us. Let me just get it down on everybody's level here today. Most of you, especially in America today, most of us say, man, I'm struggling with finances and stuff. But let me just tell you, your financial struggle is not necessarily probably a money struggle. You know what it probably is? A discipline struggle. See, most of us have money. Like almost every one of you, you woke up this last week, you went to work, you brought a paycheck in. Your problem was not that you didn't have money. Your problem is in how you spent that money. In fact, most people, here's what we do. We make a dollar and we spend two (laughs) dollars. Well, not exactly. Actually, statistics tell us this, that the average person in America actually spends a dollar and 22 cents for every dollar that they make. Now, let me just tell you something here today. I'll give you a cautionary tale. If you make a dollar and spend a dollar twenty-two, it ain't going to be long, and you're going to be broke. 
And what was the problem? It wasn't that you didn't have money. You made the dollar. The problem is you didn't have discipline. You spent more money than what you made. And for most people, the reason we struggle with finances, broke people, here's what they do. They love stuff and they lack discipline. They don't know how to say no. If I want something, I buy it. If the kids want something, we buy it. If I want something and I don't have the money to pay for it, I just whip out the credit card and put it on the credit card. Oh, but pastor, it was on sale. Okay, so you can pay, you can pay 19% on credit for that 10% you got off on sale. Now that really makes sense. And the problem is not money. The problem is discipline. We love stuff. We like discipline. Notice number three. Why, why, do, why are broke people broke? Here's the habits of broke people. Is that broke people, they, they don't just love stuff and they don't just like discipline. But look what they do. They live for the now. In fact, here's what we do. Is we, we live for the moment. Like instant gratification. Like satisfy my craving. Like why would I wait to get something tomorrow? Why would I save for something later when I could, when I could have it today? In fact, I came across these statistics. Check this out. The average American saves less than 5% of their income. Some of you are like, 5%? That'd be good if I could do that. But compare that to people in Europe who actually save 18% of their income. Compare that to people in Japan who actually save 25% of their income. And the reason in America we're so broke is because we're just living for what will make me feel good right here and right now. But you know what the Bible says? Wisdom is to realize that maybe it's more important to save for later, because here's what I know. Sometimes the, day, the things that come down the, ro- down the road, you don't know they're coming. In fact, I'll just prophesy over you today. Let me just tell you something. You will have unexpected expenses. They're coming. I know you feel really encouraged now, right? But i just tell you, it's just true. Like, I mean, cars break down. Air conditioners go out. Kids, if you have kids, they got to go to the hospital sometimes. And ER visits and, and taxes, property taxes will go up. How many can say amen to that in Burleson today? It's just true. And what happens if you spend all that you have right now when that unexpected expense comes? What's going to happen? You're going to wind up broke. In fact, here's what the proverb writer says about it. Check this out. I love the comparison he makes in Proverbs 6 and verse 6. He says, go to the ants. In other words, he says, hey, think about an ant and consider its ways and then be wise. Look what it says about the ant. The ant has no commander. It has no one to oversee it or rule it. But this is what it does. It stores up provisions in the summer and gathers its food for the harvest. In other words, here's what it says. It says that the ant understands that it may be summer now, that things may be good now, but eventually there's going to be time when it's winter and, and there's not so much for me to have for right now. So here's what the ant does. The ant stores some things away for later so that when that time comes, then instead of, instead of playing now and paying later, here's what I do. I'm going to pay now so that I can play later. And it's not, just, it's not just storing up for later here on this earth, but actually it's a spiritual principle, even more than that, that I'm going to store up things for later in eternity. In fact, look what Jesus has to say about it in, in the scripture in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Look what it says. It says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth 
where moth and where rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures where? Everybody say it. In heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, it's not just about, hey, I'm I'm not going to live for now, but I'm going to live for later in this life. No, it's saying, I'm not just going to live for this life, but I'm going to live for the things that are eternal. Because here's the deal, it's fine to have stuff here on this earth, but guess what? Storing up stuff here on this earth is not a good strategy. Because you know what? The stuff on this earth, it'll break down. It can be stolen. It can be taken away from you. And guess what? One day, you're going to die. And when that time comes, all the stuff that you gathered for yourself, guess what, guys? You ain't going to take it with you. In fact, I used to say it like this. I used to say, you never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And then somebody sent me this picture. Put it up there. I'm like <laughs> messing up my whole illustration. But isn't it true? Like, here's the deal, guys. Like, we spend all of our lives trying to get this stuff that we think is going to make us happy here on this earth. And it, it steals away from our joy in the moment. And it keeps us from making a difference in eternity. Broke people, man, they love their stuff. They lack discipline. Man, they live for the now. So you say, well, how do I get out of this mentality of poverty? How do I get out of this broke mindset and begin to live in the blessings of God? Well, let me just tell you something. I could give you some very practical habits and different ways that you could keep from being broke, like don't spend more than you make and don't, you know, put it on credit cards. And I could get all Dave Ramsey on you here today. I really could. But I really only have 14 minutes left in this sermon, and so I don't have time to do that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get down to the heart of it. Because here's what I know, that if you want to change your habits, here's what you first have to change. You have to change your heart. And for many of us, the reason we have bad habits when it comes to our money is because we have the wrong heart when it comes to our things, to our finances. So let me just give you two things today. If you're going to change your habits, here's the two things you have to change in your heart. The first one is simply this. You're taking notes. Here's what you have to do. You have to devote your heart to God. That's where it starts. In fact, I know, man, I know how you're thinking today. You're, you're feeling like this because you're, you're going, oh, man, he's talking about money. In fact, I have a friend who says this. He's a pastor friend. He says, people get funny when you talk about money, you know? And it's just true. Like, anytime I preach a sermon on money, everyone's like, oh, you know, and it feels so tense and so weird. And you don't get so many amens on a day like today and whatever. And why is this? Why is this? I'll tell you why. Because money is not really about money. When I talk about finances, guess what, guys? It's not really about your money. You know what it's about? It's about your heart. See, nothing will compete for your heart more than money. In fact, Jesus knew this. And this is why he said in the passage we read just a minute ago, he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, he's saying, hey, if you want to know where your heart is, just, just look where you're putting your money. Because where your money is, that's where your heart is. And where your heart is, that's where you're going, your money is going to be. And some of your, here's where your heart is. Your heart's out here in the parking lot because you put all your money in that car. Your heart's out on the deer lease because that's where all your money is going. Your heart is in that closet because you're filling it up with all these clothes and all these things that you think you need. Your heart is on that vacation or wherever your money is, that's where you're your heart is going to be as well. 
And so when I talk about this money stuff and everyone gets uncomfortable, the reason it's uncomfortable is because it deals with our heart. It hits us right where it hurts. And here's the reason that, this is the reason that Jesus gives us this command. Check it out in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Look what he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he gets real specific about it. He says, you want to know what I'm talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. And you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot love God and money. Here's what he says. He says, hey, guys, like there can only be one master of your life. There's not a 1A and a 1B. No, 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 no. There can only be one number one. And here's what God wants most from you. He wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. He owns it all. It's all his anyway. But you know what he wants? He wants your heart. He wants to be number one in your life. No one else in front of him. I mean, I think about it like this. Like, I, I love my wife. Man, she's, she's amazing. Come on, I think we should give it up for Pastor Amber. She's absolutely incredible. I love her with all my heart. Like, I don't know what I would do without her. And she is so important to me. Like, we've been married now. I was trying to count it up before service. We have been married 20 and a half years, almost 21 years. Come on. Yeah, that's awesome, right? And I love her so much. But what if, like, what if in a, in a romantic moment, you know, like, I looked her in the eyes and I said, baby, I love you so much. In fact, I love you so much that out of all of the women in this world, like out of, out of 3.5 billion women in this world, you are my number two woman. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't go over very well. I'd be sleeping on the couch, you know what I'm saying? And boy, I could rationalize it. I could say, but baby, like number two is high up there. There's 3.5 billion women in the world, and you are number two. You're way up there. And how many know that still wouldn't go over very well in my house? And yet this is the way some of us are with God. God, you're pretty high on the priority list. Like I got you up here. Like, you know, I gave you a Sunday morning once a month. You know, every now and then I put a little offering in. You know, I, I worship you when I feel like, like, God, you're pretty high on the list of all these things in my life. And God goes, no, 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 no. I don't want to be pretty high on the list. I want to be number one. And it's not because he's a demanding God. Here's why. It's because he's a relational God. Because he wants you to love him. And he wants to love you back. And so how do we make sure that God is number one in our lives? How do we do it? By giving him the first of everything. How do I make sure God's number one in my life? I give him the first day of my week, that every Sunday I come and I worship in the house of God with other fellow believers. And what I'm doing is I'm I'm symbolically saying, God, you are first. first. You have the first day of my week. How do I make sure that he is first? I give him the first part of my day that every morning I wake up before I do anything else. I talk to the Lord and I spend time with him and I open his word and I make that the first part of my day. And how do I make sure that God is number one in my life in every area? If finances are such a big deal and finances are where my heart is, here's what I do. I give him the first parts of my finances. You know, there's a Bible word for that. It's the word tithe. Everybody say tithe. Tithe. We talk about it every single Sunday here. We talk about the tithe 
challenge. And why, why, do, why do we make such a big deal about that? In fact, I know some of y'all roll your eyes back to your head every Sunday. We talk about the tithe challenge because they talk about it every single Sunday. Why do we make that such a big Why do we talk about that? Because here's what we know, that my job as a pastor is to help you grow in God, and nothing will help your heart to grow more in love with and devoted to God than when you begin to give him the first part of your finances. In fact, this is what tithing really is all about. Tithing teaches us to put God first in our lives. You say, Pastor, that sounds good. We should tweet that out. I'm going to say that. Pastor said that. Well, I didn't say that, actually. The Bible is the one that said that. Check this out. In Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse 23, look what it says. The purpose of tithing is to what? To teach you to always put God first in your life. The purpose of tithing is to make sure God has your heart, to teach you that week in and week out when you get that paycheck and you're like, man, finances are tight, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put God first. I'm going to trust him with my finances by giving them, him that first 10%. It teaches me to always put him first in my life. And I know some of you are going, man, if any day was the day to skip, I should have skipped today. I wish I would have went on vacation today because you're talking about money and it's uncomfortable and you're talking about tithing and, you know, man, my finances are tight and, and you're telling me to do that tithing thing. If I'm going to do that tithing thing, then I'm going to have to pastor. I would have to rearrange my whole life around God. Yes! You got it! That's the purpose. To come to that place. To say, God, you know what? I love you more than I love stuff. And when I put you first, guess what happens? I begin to develop these disciplines in my life and I begin to grow in what your word has to say about finances. And when I put you first, then suddenly it's not just about me and how I feel in the moment or even in this life. It's about using my life for things that will matter for eternity. I rearrange my whole life around God by putting him first in my finances. See, if you're going to change your financial habits, and here's what you have. You have to change your heart toward money. You have to change your heart towards God. You have to devote your heart to God. Number two, write this down. Here's what we're going to do. Not only are we going to devote our heart to God, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to develop. Everybody say develop. We're going to develop a heart of generosity. We're not just going to give our heart to God. We are going to grow our heart towards generosity. And how many know here today that as a people of God, like, the closer we get to God, the more generous we ought to be. In fact, the scripture talks about in, in Psalm 37, verse 21, it says, the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are what? Are generous givers. They love to give. Like, the more I love God, the more I'm going to love to give. The more I love God, the less I'm going to have my heart in my stuff, and the more I'm going to have my heart towards giving towards God and towards his people. In fact, this is a core value of our church. One of our core values is the core value of generosity. And here's what we say. We say giving is not just something that we do, but generous is who we are. And here's what we know, that the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more generosity will flow out of our hearts. Boy, if you want to combat against these habits that are keeping you broke, and if you want to step into the blessings of God, here's what you do. You develop a heart that's generous. You say, well, Pastor, I, I don't know how to do that. I'll tell you, here's how you do it. You just start where you're at. Wherever you're at, 
Some of you, we call it the giving ladder around here. Some of you on the giving ladder, here's where you're at. You're, you're on the bottom floor. You're not giving anything to God. You're not being generous towards his kingdom. And here's what I challenge you to do. Just take one step, one step up. Maybe you would just say, hey, I'm not giving anything, but I'm going to just start giving something. Like, you know, when I come to church, I'll put something in the offering. When I get paid, I'm going to start giving something to God. Some of you, you give something to God every now and then. You know, you throw a you know, special offering. You, you know, you, you, you feel kind of generous on that day, so you give a little bit. And here's what I would challenge you to do. Maybe you would step up and you would say, I'm going to make giving a regular thing in my life. I'm not just going to give every now and then when I feel like it, when I have a little extra. Instead, I'm going to make it a regular thing. Like every week when I come to church or every month when I get paid, I'm going to give something to God. Some of you are doing that, like you've set it up a reoccurring thing on the app, and hey, I'm giving a little bit to God every week or every month or whatever, and here's what I would challenge you to do. Maybe you would step up another step to say, I'm going to be what you're talking about. I'm going to be a tither. I'm going to give to God that first 10% of my income. I'm going to stretch towards that, and some of you are like, man, that is a stretch. I don't know how I can do it. I think about it like this. I mean, just, ima- just imagine that I pulled one of y'all out of the crowd today, and I, and I had a pull-up bar up here, and I said, hey, give me 20 pull-ups. How many of you would be able to do 20 pull-ups? Not very many hands are going up, right? A couple of you would be able to, would be able to do it. But guess what? If you did one pull-up, and then you did two pull-ups the next day, and then three pull-ups, it wouldn't be long till you could, you could begin to do a few more. In fact, I remember a few years ago, I started uh, doing a program. I saw it late at night on TV called P90X. Anybody ever seen P90X before? And so it was always a dream of mine to bucket list, check it off, do the P90X thing. And so I started doing the P90X thing, and in P90X, you do these, you do these pull-ups. And I'm telling you, on the first day that we, that we started doing, me and my buddy Kip, we started doing P90X on that first day, I tried to do a pull-up. I could barely do like two pull-ups, and there are all these pull-ups. And so I mean, I'm like, I can't do it. But you know what I did? They had these band things. And so you put the band thing on the wall and you start pulling the band down. And I did that for a few days. And then it wasn't long until I could do cheater pull-ups where I'd get on the pull-up bar and put my, put my foot on a chair and pull myself up just a little bit more. And then it wasn't long until I'm kicking that chair out of the way, baby. Come on. And I'm pulling up till I could do 10 pull-ups and then 20 pull-ups. And today I can do 30 pull-ups. Come on, y'all. I know y'all see it right here by the way I look. Come on, I know you can see it. In fact, one time we were, one time we were at one of the men's deals and we had this contest. Who could do the most pull-ups? And I was bragging, man, I can do the most pull-ups. I jumped on that bar. I did 30, or it was like 40 pull-ups, I think, at that time. And I beat everybody. And then one dude comes along. He was an ex-Marine. And he waited until everyone had gone. And boom, 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 boom. He did 41 pull-ups. And I was like, Gordon, how many pull-ups could you really do? He said, just one more than whatever you did. Guess what? That's the way it is with finances. That's the way it is with generosity. You have to grow your generosity muscle, and you start where you're at, and you just continue to be a little bit more and a little bit more, and you stretch. In fact, some of you, let's just be real, some of you, tithing is not even a stretch for you anymore. It's like me doing those pull-ups. You can do them with your eyes closed. It's not that big a deal, and maybe it's time to go, hey, I was tithing, but you know what we're going to do is we're going to stretch and be a little more generous. We're going to give 11%, or we're going to give 12%, or we're going to give 15%, or whatever it is that God might put on your heart. In fact, this is a, this is a habit that we have developed in our life, and Amber and I, when we first got married 
tithing was something we'd done all our lives. And so we just started there. But each year we look at it and go, how could we, how could we stretch? How could we grow our generosity muscle? Could we give 11 or 12 or 15% this year? What would God have us to do as we practice this heart of generosity? Do you want to be blessed in your finances? You got to give up the habits that are making you broke. And how do you do that? You get to the heart of it. You devote your heart to God. And then you begin to develop a heart that is generous. And then let me just tell you something that is so awesome about God. He doesn't have to do this, but you know what his word says? His word says that when you are generous to him and to his kingdom, here's what he will do. He will bring blessings in your life. Jesus said it like this, give, and it will be given back to you. Not just what you gave, but good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 that if we will honor God with our tithe and with our offering, here's what he said that he will do. He will open up the windows of heaven and he will pour out blessings upon your life in such a way that you will not even have room enough to receive it in your life. Oh yes, you got to have good habits and you got to not spend so much and you got you to stay away from debt and all of that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, you cannot outgive God. The more you give, the more generous you are, the more he has your heart, the more he wants to rain down his blessings in your life. In fact, I've seen it over and over in my own life. And I'll close with just a couple of stories. Let me just tell you. I remember when we first moved to Burleson to plant this church. We would pastored a great church out in Midland and we moved here with no promise of anything. You heard the story a couple weeks ago at our dedication service. We moved out here with no salary. We moved out here saying we had sold our house and we had equity from selling our house. We're, we're going to live off of that. We're going to trust God to provide. And we had only been here a couple of weeks and we went to a, to a, a seminar, a teaching for people who were going to plant a church. And we were sitting at a little round table and at that little round table there were three other pastors, people who were going to do the same thing as us and go to a new city and plant a church. It was about Wednesday of the retreat that... Amber comes in and she says, you know, I feel like God has put on my heart that what we need to do is we need to write a check for $1,000 to each one of those church planters that are at our table. And I remember looking at my wife and going, what? (laughs) There's three of them. That's one, two, that's $3,000. Don't you remember? Like, we don't have a job. We're living off our savings. We don't have a church. We don't have an income. And you know, know, I had learned in my life, you can't outgive God. So on Friday of the retreat, we sat down, we wrote three checks, $1,000, $1,000, $1,000. We handed them to those church planters. Two days later, we're preaching a service to raise funds for our church plant at our, turned out to be our mother church in Arlington. They stood up on that day after I preached and told our story, and they said, we're going to receive an offering for this new church plant. Remember, two days earlier, we'd given $3,000. They took up the offering. You know how much the offering turned out to be? $5,000. Wow, that's awesome, right? But that wasn't the end. You can clap in a minute because that wasn't the end. After that, they said, we want to give a monthly support to these pastors. And they had people give pledges for the monthly support. You know, the, you know how much it turned out to be? $1,000 a month for the next 12 months. You know what? We, we gave $3,000. And two days later, God had blessed us with $17,000. I'd say that'd be a good place to clap right there, right? But that wasn't the end of the story. 
Because a year later, after we had worked hard to plant the church, we went back to that very same congregation, shared the story of what God had done. And they said, we want to make pledges for the next, for the next year. And this time, they made pledges. And you know how much it was? Not $1,000 a month. It was $2,000 a month, $24,000 that God blessed us with. And it all started with just saying, hey, we want to be generous and do what God has called us to do. We are trusting him to take care of the rest. And that's one story. And I could tell you dozens and dozens. I could tell you about uh, about two years ago when we began the stories campaign to raise money for this new building and we challenged you to be generous and give and step up the giving ladder and we said as pastors we can't challenge you to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. and so we sat down and we prayed and we said God what do you want us to do and I remember we wrote down the amount that God had put on our hearts to do and it was a big amount it was the, the biggest one that we had the biggest amount we had ever give in a, in a single offering and and we but we said I don't know where it's going to come from we don't have that money, but we're going to trust God and believe that he's going to provide it. And can I tell you, about two months later, I was actually, I was actually selected for a leadership position within our denomination where I'm leading other pastors. And the amount that I was going to get paid that was extra for that was almost the exact amount that we had pledged for that stories campaign. And it's not just me, guys. It's the church. We, do, we practice this as a church. About a few months ago, I told you the story about how we are going to partner with our friends Seth and Janae to plant a church in Mansfield, Texas. And I said, we don't know exactly how it's going to happen, but we're going to help pay their salary. We had an amount as a church that we were going to pay towards that salary. I didn't know how we were going to do it. It wasn't in the budget, but we felt like God had called us to be generous. And can I tell you, just a couple of months ago, we got a check in the mail from a gas lease that we we had forgotten we even had, and the gas lease check was for the, almost the exact amount that we had pledged to give towards Movement Church in Mansfield. Come on, I am just telling you today that if you will be generous, God will take care. Oh, Pastor, are you saying if I give in the offering today, I'm gonna go get a check in the mail today as you know when the mail comes tomorrow? That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I am saying: that if you will develop a heart. A heart that says, God, I'm putting you first in my life. And I want to grow in generosity. I'm telling you, you will experience the blessings of God in your life. You've never experienced it before. It's not a money thing. It's a heart thing. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes all over this room today. And some of you are saying, Pastor, you're getting so fired up and excited today. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you the reason. But I get so fired up about this is because I believe it has the potential to change your life. If you could get to a place where you'd say, God has my heart, not just part of me, not just number two or number three or number four in my life, but God, I am rearranging my entire life around you. It'll make a difference. In fact, some of you are here today and you've never come to that place. You've never come to a place of surrendering your life to Jesus. Maybe you come to church every now and then, you know about him. Maybe even today you're like struggling inside because you're thinking about all the things that I've said. And what it really is, it's, it's that God is speaking to your heart. And he's saying, I want your heart. I want you. I love you so much that like, I gave my best for you, my son. And now all I want you to do is give yourself completely to me. 